Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith. And then he quotes David Brenner, the great missionary. I care not where I go or how I live or what I endure so that I might save souls. When I sleep, I dream of them. When I awake, they are first in my thoughts. The Great Commission is our mission. It's what we are called to do. Reaching up high with arms open wide we see You're changing our lives so we can be our hands and The Great Commission is our missionary calling as believers. It's what we're called to do. The focus must be on Jesus, not just a specific ministry. In today's message, Pastor Ed reminds us that being a witness for the Lord should be a way of life, not a planned event. It is our responsibility to preach the name of Jesus and to tell the world that He is the only way to heaven. Don't be distracted and miss the opportunities that God gives you. When you seek Him first, sharing the gospel will come naturally. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's message entitled, Witnessing for Christ. Building in faith. John chapter 1, verse 35. The title of my sermon is Witnessing for Christ. God's called all of us to be witnesses for Him. He said, you are my witnesses. And in this first chapter, you see the beginning of that witnessing process that began. There are principles found here that if we follow, it will help us, it will enable us to be more effective in sharing the gospel with others. John chapter 1, verse 35 The next day, John was there again. That's John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come. He replied, and you will see. So they went, and they saw where he was staying, and spent a day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said, who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. And said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated as Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from Bethesda. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, 
the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can any good thing come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you you saw me under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. Then he added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Lehman Beecher was one of the great preachers of a previous century. He actually pastored in New York City. His sermons were read all around the country. And as Lehman Beecher was dying, they came and asked him a question. They said, tell us, what do you believe is the greatest thing a human being can be or do? And here's Lehman Beachman's reply. He said, the greatest thing is not that a man should be a scientist, important as that is. Not that a man should be a statesman, as important as that is. Not even that one should be a great theologian, immeasurably important as that is. But the greatest thing of all things is for one human being to bring another human being to the Lord Jesus Christ. We, if we catch the heart of God, it's for lost men and lost women. It's to save a lost and dying world. David Osberg talked about a passion born of compassion. A passion in our hearts born of compassion for the lost. Now, in his book, he talks about John Knox, who is a great reformer in Scotland, who prayed, give me Scotland or I die. He talked about George Whitfield, a great revivalist, give me souls or take my soul. And then he quotes David Brennard, the great missionary. I care not where I go or how I live or what I endure so that I might save souls. When I sleep, I dream of them. When I awake, they are first in my thoughts. The Great Commission is our mission. It's what we are called to do. Dan Green said, Witnessing is not a spare time occupation or a once a week activity. It must be a quality of life. You don't go witnessing. You are a witness. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about, being a witness for our Lord Jesus Christ. There are principles found in this passage of Scripture that if we unpack them and follow them, we could be more effective 
in our witness. The very first thing that I take note of here is that we must focus on Jesus Christ. We could focus on so many different things. We might want to focus on a music ministry, which is good. We want, might want to focus on a teaching ministry, which is good. We might want to focus on all sorts of things that are good and healthy. But really, everything has to grow out of our focus on Christ. You see John the Baptist preaching, and in verse 35 and 6 it says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, or I like the King James, Behold, the Lamb of God. There were two disciples who had worked and were disciples of John the Baptist, and when they heard John say, Behold the Lamb of God, they heard not just with their ears, but with their heart, and they began to follow Jesus. We need to prepare our hearts to listen to the word. So when God speaks, we respond intuitively, without delay, without hesitation. They were prepared to listen to God's word. And so when they heard, they immediately followed. And I want you to see they discovered the appointed Messiah of God. In verses 40 and 41, Andrew goes to witness to his brother, Peter, and he said, we have found Messiah. We have found the anointed one. Christ. Uh, They studied the Old Testament. They were waiting, they were praying, they were anticipating the coming of Messiah. But so many, so many missed the day of their visitation. When Jesus came to Jerusalem, he wept over a city that failed to see the moment of their visitation. And I believe all through church history, God comes and he shows up And for those who have listening ears and attentive hearts, they don't miss that time when he visits. But for those that are distracted and haven't disciplined themselves to hear God, they miss the moment. But these two disciples, they heard and they discovered about Jesus things they they wouldn't really have realized that the Messiah was like because the Jewish people had their ideas, their preconceived ideas. They had a box which the Messiah was to fit in. But Jesus burst that box and he didn't fit into that box. He came to suffer. He came to seek and to save the lost He came to be a man of sorrows, identifying with our sorrow. And so they discovered one far greater, one who was actually Emmanuel, God with us. Now that revelation grew over time. If you begin in John chapter 1 and you go to John chapter 21, you discover that that revelation, that understanding of Jesus grew. And that's true of our lives. This Messiah is absolutely incredible. Someone said a person must have a hunger that drives them to stay alert and awake to hear the word proclaimed. Jesus, the good shepherd. 
Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the healer. Jesus, the brother, that's the man that sits closer than a brother. That Jesus, who is our Messiah. Now they saw him as Messiah, but those words, I believe, captured the disciples, the Lamb of God. Notice the text. The New Living Translation says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Notice it's the Lamb of God. Jesus was God's provision for our sin. I think of Abraham and Moriah when he's going to offer up his son Isaac and he goes there and Isaac and says, where's a lamb? And Abraham says prophetically, the Lord will provide a lamb. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, we have this revelation that Jesus is the lamb of God that's appointed to take away our sins. Nothing could wash away our sin. Nothing could cleanse us from the filth of sin. Nothing could give us a brand new start with God except Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. I'm reminded when I went to visit London, as I spent time there, I was thinking of Bath, England, years ago when I had visited Bath, that city, and I stopped to hear a preacher who, it was a growing church, the church in the community, and the, uh, the preacher was an artist as well, and he had spent years in India as a missionary, and I thought I would hear an inspiring message, but this missionary who had given his life to India, coming back, said, I'm not sure anymore if the gospel is the only answer, because I've seen very good people Buddhist and Muslims who somehow knew God and I thought, oh, he missed it. He missed it. And I went up to the pastor of the church and I said, how could you have a man speak like that in this pulpit? How could you let your people be misled? See, Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation. There's no other name whereby a man or a woman may be saved. It's Christ and Christ alone. I remember going to the Vatican and it was this very sacred time because I was thinking about the great history and I was thinking about godly men and godly women all through the centuries. I, but then I was also grieved at the same time as I went through and I looked at the various statues and I thought, here were good men, godly men, that history is honored and that we should honor, but to pray to them. It's not a church that saves us. It's not a pastor that saves us. It's not a denomination that saves us. It's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And our trust must be in him and him alone. 
And until we recognize how deep and how dark our sin is, we never can value the greatness of the cross of Jesus Christ. But when we realize the depth of our own sinfulness, we realize the greatness of the grace of God. These disciples saw the Lamb of God and they followed. In 1 Peter it reads, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or defect. It costs God greatly to save you. God just couldn't speak your sins out of existence. He spoke the worlds into existence but he couldn't speak your sins out of existence. He had to come and die on a cross. He had to become sin who knew no sin. He had to spill his own blood to justify your salvation. What amazing grace. What an amazing cost. And so here is the Lamb of God. Our focus must be on the Lamb of God. We must hear the word. We must listen to the Spirit as it directs our attention to Calvary. We must be willing to recognize it's the Lamb of God alone that cleanses us, that saves us, that redeems us. And when we focus on that, that will give us a confidence to share. The gospel, God's appointed lamb. Someone has said the best way to help others see Christ is to see him yourself. See, when you begin seeing Jesus, it changes on the inside. It begins changing you. That old song, oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. What's your attention on? Is it the pleasures, the possessions, the positions, the things of this life that are going to disappear in a moment in time? Would you take your eyes off of your problems, take your eyes off of this present world, and would you look at for a moment what is the most important thing God, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what John the Baptist was asking his disciples to do. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We must focus on the Messiah, God's anointed one, the one who was anointed to lead us and to guide us and to direct us through life. The Lamb of God, the one who takes away our sin and gives us the hope of heaven. It doesn't stop there, though. We are not only to focus on him, we are to fellowship, fellowship with him. 
In the message translation of 1 John 1.3, and this is written decades after the Gospels, decades after Jesus died and rose, written to a church, many, most who had not seen the Christ physically. This is John the Apostle speaking. We saw it. We heard it. And now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. What he's saying is this. We want you to experience the same Jesus who walked with us beside the Sea of Galilee. The same Jesus who appeared to us on that Easter Sunday. That same Jesus who spoke to us on the Sermon on the Mount. We can See, Jesus is not limited to some place in the past and history. He walks with us. He talks with us. He dwells with us. And if we're willing to say, Lord, here I am, walk with me. Now, he calls us to follow him. In verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Uh, later on. In 143, it says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. We're called to follow Christ. Now, what does it mean to follow Christ? It doesn't mean you just go to church on a Sunday or a Wednesday or you're in a small group. No, 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 no. It's far more than following Jesus. I think of William Law and he was one of the great devotional writers of centuries past. I remember reading that devotional book. And so many of the devotional writers focus on living a Christ-like life. That's what it is. When you follow Christ, you're going to live in this world like Jesus lived. You're going to respond to the problems and the challenges and the things that happen listening to his voice, discerning his heart, and trying to live like he lived. Living in this present life the way Jesus lived. That's what it means to follow him. The disciples, when they were brought after the resurrection of Jesus in the book of Acts in the fourth chapter, they were brought before the Sanhedrin and they were being tried and they were defending the faith. It said that they took knowledge of them, the religious leaders, that they had been with Jesus. When people rub up against us, when they meet us, can they tell we've been with Jesus? Can they tell when they've bumped up against us what spills out? Is it the character of Christ? Is it the presence of the Lord? That's what it means to follow Jesus, to live our lives the way he would have us live. It's to know him, not only follow him, but to really intimately know him. Notice the response. When they're following him, again in verse 39, come and see, he said, it was about four o'clock in the afternoon, the New Living Translation states, when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. What he was saying is, I want you to spend time with me. I want you to spend time with me. It's a relationship. It's a fellowship. 
Maybe it's just simply taking time out of your day in the morning, 15 minutes. There's no radio. There's no television. It's just quiet. And maybe it's meditating on the Lord's Prayer or the Sermon on the Mount or a passage of Scripture. And you just think of that and you become aware of the presence of God. We want to encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. We know that God's Word never returns void. We've made it really simple. Visit buildinginfaithradio.com and click on today's date. Then you can share today's message to your Facebook page and Twitter, or even download a copy to share. Again, that's all available at buildinginfaithradio.com. To learn more about Building in Faith, or to get a free copy of today's teaching, simply log on to buildinginfaithradio.com. That's buildinginfaithradio.com. Although Building in Faith is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Building in Faith with Dr. Ed Jones. Please join us next time as Pastor Ed continues teaching through his special eight-part series entitled Eyes Open, right here on Building in Faith. Your word restores.